So welcome back to For the Girls. Today we are joined by someone I have been so over the moon excited to talk to. I think as many listeners know by now, I am a huge Mercedes fan, so I could not be more honored to have Catherine Richards here with us, who has been with Mercedes for over a decade Catherine is a wind tunnel test technician at Mercedes Formula One. She has a degree in aerospace engineering, a PhD in vehicle aerodynamics, and is also an ambassador for FIA Girls on Track. So we have so much to chat about today. Catherine, it's so wonderful to have you here with us. I also just want to first congratulate you on the success you and the team have had over the many years, no doubt, I'm sure, to much of your work. But before we get into all that and your background, we'd love to just start by asking you to describe your current role. What exactly is a wind tunnel test technician? What do you do day to day for those of us who are a little bit less familiar? <laughs> well, hello. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so my role as a wind tunnel test technician essentially is to run the wind tunnel for the aerodynamicists and provide them with it's like a service so that they can put aerodynamic performance on the car so I just make sure that the tunnel runs properly the model performs it gives the right data so that when they get the performance from the data that they're looking at it's real it's genuine and then when it goes to the track hopefully it puts performance on the race car (laughs) and so what does a typical day-to-day look like for you It'll probably vary between in-season and off-season, or does it at all? Like, what is what does it look like for you out there? So we don't have, in the wind tunnel, we don't have an off-season. We're just continuous. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a typical day, because I can't tell you my exact day, obviously, because these, you know, it's a close, guarded secret what we do in the tunnel. <laughs> but as a general rule, so my primary role is a wind tunnel test technician. So I primarily am um, running the wind tunnel, running the tests, so the aerodynamicist can... Um, test different aerodynamic parts on the model but alongside that um, when the tunnel's not running I'm doing maintenance tasks um, cleaning I upkeep all of our procedures I'm doing a lot of diagnostic work so I'm keeping an eye on how the tunnel's running how she's behaving day to day month to month year to year so just keeping an eye on everything the wind tunnel is a she she's a she (laughs) does she have a name she's called big air oh yeah she's called big air that's incredible so for our listeners who are maybe less familiar with wind tunnels can you tell us what even is one and what is its importance in developing the car so the best way to describe a wind tunnel is to sort of go back to the basics of what it we're actually trying to do so you imagine a race car on the track the race car goes around the track and it moves through the air So in the wind tunnel, we turn this around. The race car, which is actually a 60% scale model, stays stationary. And we move a road underneath it, like a giant conveyor belt. And then we also pull wind over it. So we're simulating that relative motion between the car, the road underneath, and the air that's moving over it. And it's just like a giant tube. Basically, there's a fan at one end um, and it goes in a big circle and it's a big tube. And we're just pulling wind over the model to simulate aerodynamics. That is so interesting. A follow-up question there for my own interest. So obviously it's a 60% scale. There's no no one sitting in the car, like no one's driving it. Are you turning the car and things as well or is it mostly just to see, yeah, you are? 
Yeah, so we turn the car. So the car moves through lots of different um, ride heights, roll steer, crosswind angles. Basically, what we're trying to do in a test is simulate all of the known attitudes that the model or the race car is going to see at the track. And we're looking at how different parts of, so like front wing or rear wing, behave in those different situations. Is are there any downsides to that sixty percent number? I, think, I guess the only downsides is is things like uh, obviously the model is made of rapid prototyping and it's got an uh, an aluminium spa, uh, spine and it's made of metal and all different um, materials. Whereas the race car, it's carbon fiber. You know, a lot of things flex and deflect, so we don't get that same behaviour. Mm-hmm. But what we're trying to achieve in the wind tunnel is repeatable environment. Yeah. So. That's what's really important for us is to have a repeatable environment every single test we do. So we need to keep everything controlled. Mm. And tracks are obviously so different and conditions can be very different from race to race. How do you guys take that into account in a wind tunnel or is it always the same controlled environment? It's always the same controlled environment. We can't we we can't do um, like humidity or things yeah. like that. We're not we're actually not allowed to do it. So it it literally is a controlled environment. So when from test to test, the only force change that we are seeing on that model is a direct result of the part we've changed. Wow. That's what we're interested in. That's, That's so so, so cool. Well, speaking of what you are and aren't allowed to do, we're not gonna we're not gonna ask you to divulge secrets, but we are really curious, and we talked a bit about this in some of our episodes about the restrictions and and the timing restrictions, and you know, depending on the team, Mercedes is a great team, so you may have a little bit less time. How does that look like for you, and how does that impact you know the development of the car? So the we do have less time because obviously um, of our position in the championship. So for example, at the beginning of this season, because we were world champions, we had the least amount of wind tunnel testing time out of all the teams. But because obviously now Red Bull, um, they took over. So when it came to the 1st of July, we got more time back. They get to- got time taken away from them. So it ebbs and flows. Um, so it's 1st of January and 1st of July. Um, the way it impacts you it's the way you operate. So obviously I can't give away what we do and how we do it, but we just make sure that every run we do counts and we get the maximum amount of information from every single run we do because you have to, because you're so limited. And how do you work with the other teams at Mercedes kind of getting ready for a run and how dependent are you on the entire team and all of them on getting things back and how long does that whole cycle take you? You mean how uh, from design or yeah? How like how long do you have to wait and wait on other teams and work with other teams to get the results or get get a test done in the tunnel? Um, it's not a very big cycle, really. I mean, I, I mean, I obviously can't tell you what it is because obviously everyone's different and everyone works differently. But it it goes it goes from sort of thought. Um, and it can go through CFD simulation and then the designers in the design office will design the parts. It will go to build, it'll be made, it'll come to the tunnel, um, it'll get tested. And then if it becomes a config for the full size car, it then goes over to the road to get built full size. It's got to be somewhat difficult timeline wise, because if you're testing, say, one particular part and there's a change that needs to be made to that part, that probably affects other parts of the car that are in process or being built by other teams. Like, is that a really difficult part of the job? 
It is. Everybody is dependent on everybody else because we have lots of groups working on different areas of the car. So if one group finds something or changes something, it will impact another group. But we all work together on it. We don't push and pull each other. We all work together to hopefully try and make even those changes and that uh, sort of change of direction for other groups coming in. They can see it and they can work towards it. Yeah, that makes sense. So before we dive into more about that, I just want to take a step back and talk to you about how you began your career in engineering when you pursued your doctorate. Did you know you had an interest in working in F1? We saw that you sent a letter to the then Benetton one team. Tell us about that. Yeah. We'd just love to hear your backstory. <laughs> so the story starts way back when I was at school. So when I was 16, 15, 16. So if we go back a little bit further, my auntie took me to Heathrow Airport mm-hmm. and I saw the planes and went, oh, love it. I want to fly planes. <laughs> so it all started with her, blame her. Um, Credit so her. Then, yeah, blame my, blame my auntie. Then So I did my um, GCSEs and A-levels thinking that I was going to go off to flying school, to the British Airways flying school when I was a bit older. So I did all of that. But then I wasn't either tall enough or old enough to go to flying school. So I thought, ah, I need to do something. So somebody told me about an HND that was at a local college and it was in aerospace studies. So I applied to that and went off and did that. And at this same time, I was starting to get interested in Formula One and a certain Michael Schumacher. <laughs> so I wrote a letter to Benetton wanting to go to the factory. And uh, a certain gentleman um, by the name of Willem Turk picked up this letter and replied to me and said, yeah, come along for a day. And I took my mum. So me and mum went to the factory for the day um, and he showed us around. And I asked him, where's the wind tunnel? Because by this point, I discovered what a wind tunnel was. I thought that was quite cool and aerodynamic. So I was sort of getting a bit interested. And he said, oh, it's not here. It's in Farnborough. And I said, oh, I study in Farnborough. (laughs) To cut a long story short, the next March... I went to that wind tunnel in Farnborough. I left with a project for my HND, working, doing a project for Benetton or for Willem. Wow. Um, And the rest is history. He supported me through my, all of my um, studies, through my degree and through uh, my PhD. Uh, And then, because at that point I realized what I wanted to do. Um, And then finally, when I was, my job came up 17 years ago, um, he said, uh, yeah, come and have a chat. Turned out to be an interview and the rest is history. That is amazing. Yeah. That is so cool. So when you were in school and you had learned what a wind tunnel was, was that in the context of motorsports and Formula One or was it something different? It was It was in the context of aerospace, so aircraft. So that's what, because obviously aerospace studies, we had to do aerodynamics for wing shapes and things like that. So that's where I first got introduced to it. And obviously I was getting into F1. And when I realized that you could put an F1 car in a wind tunnel, I just went, right, that's what I want to do. Forget the flying. This is what I want to do. It's just, you know, and I'm really glad I made that choice. So you were making all the connections in your mind about everything that you were learning and how it could relate to a potential career in F1. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. How did you get into F1? What? How did I start watching F1? Yeah. Um, well, my dad, actually, it's my family. My dad took me to Silverstone. So um, the company he worked for had a, a small sponsor that was somehow involved with it. And so he had some tickets to go. Um, and we went to Silverstone, oh, 19... 
86, wow. I think it was. I can't remember which. And it was only practice day. And I just loved it. I thought it was fascinating. And then I started to watch. That is so cool. And then I, you know, just went from there, really. And so you were a big Schumacher fan. Any other drivers? Were you a Ferrari fan or <laughs> back in the day? Just just back in the day, it was Michael Schumacher because this, 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 this man just arrived on the scene and he was just quick straight away. And it just fascinated me. So I followed him for, well, until he retired. Yeah, that is so interesting. And going back a little bit to the your start in aerospace engineering, like how similar is the engineering between like planes and cars? Like, was it a relatively easy transition or knowledge to apply to Formula One? Well, the principles of aerodynamics are pretty much the same. It's, I mean, yeah. you've got the wings on a, a Formula One car are the same as the wings on an aircraft. They're just upside down. So the principles are the same. Um, but because I wanted to do the wind tunnel side of it, I really started migrating towards the wind tunnel side of it. It was more the experimental side and, and sort of getting involved and the data and, and that kind of thing. And wind tunnels are different across the disciplines and I've worked in many but the principles are the same you know your controlled environment you've got wind you've got temperature so it you can if you as long as you've got the base knowledge it was quite easy to move around is the Mercedes wind tunnel the same as the other team's wind tunnels or can you kind of make your own updates to it and keep it for yourself Yes, we are very, it's one, it's one of the places in the entire factory that is restricted access. It's actually so cool to think about that because you usually only think of changes as they relate to the car and all the innovations and how they affect the car performance. But if you can't properly and accurately test all of those changes, you're kind of just shooting in the dark. So it just goes to show how important all the wind tunnel testing is. Yeah. And how big per se is like the team working on the wind tunnel maybe not exact numbers but like out of all the people kind of either working at the factory or in the wind tunnel like what's the percentage of people who are working on that part of it yeah it does it is a big big part because obviously um when you look at a formula one car the bodywork and the front wings and the the suspension members it's all aerodynamic parts so it's a big big part of it and it's not only us in model world in the tunnel but you've then got to translate all that to full size so you've got full size world as well and then you've also got simulator world as well so you've got the simulator so everything is interconnected we're all working together all the time do you ever test the individual parts or are you just doing the replica model it's just, it's it's the 60% model and it's, it's like a Meccano set. It's made up of... You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over 100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. Hundreds and hundreds of different parts and you interchange lots of small parts. Very fun. Do you watch? I know you came into this as a Formula One fan. Do you watch Formula One every weekend, or is it kind of like watching your baby on track and like <laughs> hard to? <laughs> um, 
we're actually a two-team household. My yeah. half works in F1 as well, so nice. he's a bit more of a bubble hat than me. But yeah, <laughs> I do sometimes. But also, I've got another. I, I do something outside work. I'm actually I work for I do work for a charity, so I often find myself doing stuff for the charity on a Sunday. Mm. Um, so I'm not around to watch a race anyway. What kind of charity work do you do? It is for a charity called Sunshine Cat Rescue, oh. so cat rescue charity, and I'm their fundraising officer. Tiggy has a cat. Oh, that's so cool. I do. And she usually likes to announce herself whenever I'm on meetings. So you may see her walk across <laughs> at some point. I can hear Mouse outside the door. She's outside the, the dining door and I can hear her meowing and I'm Aww. ignoring her because if I open the door and let her in, then yeah, that's it. Done. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about how you're giving back to the sport and the things that you're doing outside of your day job that you do in, in the <laughs> F1 world. And, you know, maybe talk a little bit about FIA Girls on Track. So I'm actually, I'm just an ambassador. So um, I attend events and just just try and be a role model to, to the younger girls that are coming up. Um, I got involved with it because I wanted to do the, the give back because this, the guy that I sent the letter to and who gave me my chance, who I'm still, he's my best friend, mentor and oh. all time greatest bloke in the world. Um, Cause he gave me that chance. I now want to do the same for other youngsters because it's a difficult industry to get into. Um, and in my role as ambassador, I try and give as many girls work experience at the factory with me. Um, I've just had a couple come through the last few weeks and try and give them that experience and that exposure to what we do um, and to see if they, that's what they want to do. That's amazing. Have you seen with the rise of Drive to Survive and the fan base opening up a little bit more, have you seen a change internally at all on that front? Like more women working in the sport? What's your experience been like? I, actually, yeah. And we would, I was just talking with a colleague um, just the other day because we obviously we won the race on Sunday. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, so we had a big team debrief in the race phase. And um, he was saying that he felt, because we've not had everybody together in that sort of volume for quite a while we usually do them on teams and but everybody wanted to go and have a glass of champagne and celebrate and he said that he could look when he was looking down on everyone he could see a different dynamic he could see a lot more girls and I don't because of our isolation in the wind tunnel I don't see as many girls on a daily basis I know they are around the factory and there are more on the engineering side now and it, it is starting to come through you know that generation that saw those things maybe you know five or six years ago and when dare to be different started which is what mm-hmm. is now FIA girls on track it's that generation is starting to filter through now yeah that's that's so amazing and we've mm-hmm. always talked about this and it's just saying that like it needs to start somewhere and it's great that you're finally seeing it come through from from your perspective and from where you sit um, but I am curious because Tiggy and I live in the States. No one really knew about F1 a few years ago. Obviously, I was watching it with my dad like you were. But I think Drive to Survive has fully changed the landscape. Like when you say F1 today, people's eyes will just go wild. Um, do you see the same thing in the UK or is it kind of not been as affected by Drive to Survive? Yeah, I don't think we see that so much because obviously, like you say, it's been in Europe and I mean, UK is the hub of most of the teams. So it's, you know, you've still got the same, the same fan base. There's just, they just know a lot more about everybody now because obviously they've got that sort of drive to survive and that follow around. But it, I don't, personally, I have never seen it. I've never watched it. Um, so I, I don't know, but um, 
yeah, I haven't noticed that particularly. Yeah. So something I'm super interested in, the team and the environment at Mercedes, what do you love about it? If what are, in your opinion, some of the like major contributing factors to this team's success over the past, you know, many, many years? What's your favorite thing about working there? I think it's it's a lot of things. And I, I think it's the way the Mercedes culture's built up over the years. They look after us. Yeah. They value us as individuals and they care about you. And they care about you as an individual, as an employee and as a team member. And, you know, it's just going to sound so cliche, but our success comes from everybody working together. It's not just one person, it's everyone working together. Um, it's been a few bumps in the road, but we learn from our mistakes. And you can guarantee if we make a mistake, we won't make that mistake again because we'll pick ourselves up and say, right, we need to do that differently now. And I think that's been the key is that we've, we've been focused. If we make a mistake, we learn from it. And we just keep our heads down as well. Mm. We try not to let anybody else around us, other teams, whatever's going on, you know, just, just keep our heads down and keep going. And I think this year has been certainly a, a big test for us, mm-hmm. but it's also shown us that we are a really, really strong team because we were in a very bad place at the start of the season. Yeah. But we've just won our first race and we've got a competitive car now. And the relief for everybody won. It's a big <laughs> relief. But all of the hard work that we've put forward and then we've it's been a lot we've done a lot of hard work and it's been tough at times and we've sometimes gone, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? But it's all paid off and it, it just gives you that faith that we just stuck at it and kept going and had faith in our own abilities and everybody around us and all the decisions that were going on. And I think that's the key. You know, we all we we work together and we rely on each other and we trust each other. Yeah. Yeah, you guys must have felt so amazing after the Brazil race. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I may or may not have shed a tear myself. So yeah, it was it was almost like a championship win because yeah. at the beginning of the season, it just say it seemed which it was we literally were just going, what happened? Yeah. Oh dear! But we worked really, really hard, and it was just the you know the success of all that hard work. Yeah, that's so incredible. Was it a surprise at the beginning of the season that the car was not performing potentially as well as you thought it was? Or was that sort of a sacrifice you knew you were making potentially as a team? It was a surprise. Yeah, I think it was a surprise. And I think bouncing was a surprise to a lot of people. Um, And it hurt us. And everyone could see that it was hurting us. But we took a step back and we went through the pain. But we we went, we just took the time to understand what was going on and it's, it's still there and it's still there for everybody but at least we understand what's going on and we can move forwards and we've learned so much this year and actually I think it's made us a stronger team particularly in the tunnel we've learned so much through yeah. it um so yeah hopefully pushing on to next year <laughs> we'll be in a much better place how yeah. soon do you guys start thinking about next year's car like basically as soon as the season starts again and, and uh, car. I can't really tell you, but you, so when you're developing a car, because you imagine, obviously, you've got to build that car ready for, for uh, start of season testing. So that car's got to be ready built mm-hmm. for January. Wow. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, you start it way ago, yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah. You have to make a decision at some point in your season when you switch from current to future. 
So it's always at some point during the current season when you make your switch. Mm. And it just depends on who you are, how you're doing, how confident you feel to stop developing current car to go on to future car. Well, we already can't wait for January. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to, well, I say I want a break. I don't really get a break because it's (laughs) constant for us. I just want my Christmas holiday. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. So a little bit about driver's involvement in the car probably really depends on the driver and maybe you can't say specifically you know person to person but like how does that work are drivers relatively involved in the process I feel like something with bouncing and porpoising they definitely have to be like (laughs) you know talking about that are they into the data like how are drivers involved I don't I mean obviously they do get involved but we don't we don't get involved in any of the debriefs or the technical meetings that the drivers and the engineers track side get involved in. They do come and see us in the tunnel every now and again. Um, and they're always interested. Lewis had, does visit us and he's always interested in what we're doing, what's going on, how the model's changed. But I don't know how much of an influence they have on what happens in that stage of development. Obviously, at the track on a race weekend, you know, they are saying what they need or what they feel and what can we change? So yeah, that's, that's as much as I really know. This is maybe not as specific to the wind tunnel, but I think interesting for our listeners, how many on track adjustments like need to happen during a race and do those changes ever make their way back to and affect your work at the wind tunnel? What do you mean at the track? Yeah. Um, it does come full circle. Sometimes we, you know, we can do track reaction. That's something we sometimes do. Um, but it is, like I said, we all work together. So we're not standalone in the tunnel. We're not just a single entity. What we do affects what happens on the track, what the track fine comes back to us, obviously with all the bouncing. So it came straight back to us and that also goes into the simulation world. And so it's, it's a big closed loop. Everyone works together. So on the driver's what does it mean to you as, you know, someone from the UK, Mercedes, you know, having a huge UK presence and having two UK drivers, is that a big deal for you guys? Yeah, I think so. It's nice to have British drivers. It's good to have yeah. two. And we've got two very strong drivers, which is which is good for, you know, a future for us. Yeah, I feel like I want to be at Silverstone next year. I want to feel, <laughs> I want to feel all of that. Have you have you been back to a race since you went with your dad? Yeah, I've been to a few. I've mostly, well, only Silverstone because I, I I haven't been to any um, uh, overseas race. Ironically, the only overseas race I have been was an IndyCar race this year. Ironically, but um, I have been to uh, uh, Silverstone a few times, and we go up every year on a Friday. They take us up on a bus, and we get to spend the day out there. Oh, that's I'm so dying. fun. To go to yeah, on practice day. Yeah, they take us up on practice day. Tell us more about the IndyCar race. That's so cool. We talk about Indy <laughs> sometimes on the podcast. I went to the Nashville race. Wow. It was epic. It was brilliant. <laughs> Nashville is definitely a fun spot to be, regardless of whether or not you're seeing Indy. I loved it. We absolutely loved it. Yeah, we made some really good friends because we were guests at AJ Foyt Racing. So we made some really good friends and had a lovely time. And oh, it was brilliant. Really enjoyed it. And it was uh, really just... The sound. I love the sound because <laughs> yeah. you lose that in F1 because yep. they whistle, but these roar. It's great. It was, it was just noisy. <laughs> was, yeah, it was Do you have like a favorite IndyCar driver or team? Or are you just there for the experience? Not really. No, I don't really have a – I mean, obviously, we, we support all sort of the XF1 drivers, but I don't really have a favorite. I mean, um, I was actually there because I know Tatiana, 
Oh, um, nice. So I was there through through her. So that's why we were with AJ Foot Racing. But um, I just loved it, and I just uh, I like that. It's because uh, it's different. F1's very team orientated, where an IndyCar mm-hmm. is very driver orientated, and it's very different. So it's really nice to just be able to watch racing and not have to think oh, God, we're not going to win. <laughs> or, you know, it's, just, it's really, really nice just to just to really enjoy the racing. And I, and I love the whole the whole format and, and the qualifying format and everything. I just really enjoy it. Yeah, what's that's the so te- cool. What's the atmosphere like at the race? Like, it's hard to sometimes understand what an F1 race is going to feel like until you're there. And we were just in Mexico, so it definitely felt, like, off the charts in terms of, like, camaraderie mm. and cheering and everything like that. But I'm sure Indy was just a complete 180, especially in Nashville. Yeah, it was. It was. It was hot. That was one thing. It was really hot. Yeah, it was very different. Because um, obviously, when you go to an F1 race, you have obviously you've got people supporting teams and drivers, um, and they're all mixed together. But when I, I didn't feel that there was um, particularly allegiance to teams or drivers, people were just there to watch racing nice. and really have a lovely time and enjoy themselves. Um, and but the the camaraderie was still there, and everyone you know was sitting together, and it, no, it was good fun. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Do you watch or keep up with any other sports outside of motorsports? <laughs> um, during the winter season, try and watch some of the skiing downhill when nice. we can. Are you a big skier? I do. I love to ski. Yes, nice. I do. Where's your favorite spot to ski? Uh, in Austria. Oh, so nice. Amazing. So one thing we like to ask, and I know we talked a little bit about this before with the sort of female presence in F1 growing, but do you have any advice for women who are looking to break into the sport a little bit more? What do you tell some of the people you work with or the girls on track and all of that? I just say, don't be afraid. Write a letter, write an email, bug people. Just don't, don't think about the environment you're going into. Cause I know a lot of girls, they, you know, they are put off by that. There are still a lot of men in the industry and they do get put off by that. And I think just don't be, go in as an individual um, and and just go for it write that letter or get in touch with someone I mean LinkedIn is a very powerful thing mm-hmm. these days as well so that you can make a lot of connections there you can get to know people um, and just go for it when you first started as a woman in motorsport I know you said that you had the support of Willem but were there other women in the sport that you looked up to or were you really trying to just chart your own path I was trying to find my own path because there wasn't anyone. Yeah. There really wasn't anyone. Um, I didn't know anyone because um, it was, you know, it was all very new to me. So, um, but, you know, the guys were great even from my first day. I, I never felt that I was out of place. I've never had a negative experience in my whole 17 years. Wow, that's great. Yeah, Chessa and I both started our careers in the finance industry in New York, where it was very similar. Not a ton of women. There are more, and there are increasingly more, especially at junior levels. But it always felt hard to find people at senior levels who were women because, you know, it's hard to, you know, keep going up the path. Mm -hmm. So it's great to see you there doing that work and (laughs) a lot of other women that I think a lot of younger women or more junior women can look up to. So that's really incredible. <laughs> and I think this just goes to show, like, Catherine, you're super educated. You know what skills you bring to the table. And if you know what you can offer, it's about, like, a mindset shift. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm a woman or, I'm, you know, I'm a man. And it's more about what you can bring to the team. And, and it really shows, especially for you. Yeah, and it's also about um, we try and uh, encourage – 
you don't need to go through university either. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, you need to go through university, you need a degree and everything else, but you don't. I mean, there's lots of different ways to, to come into motorsport. You've got apprenticeships. So it it's open. We're trying to sort of get that across. It's open to everyone. You know, just, just try. You might find a different path. I mean, some of my colleagues have come in through different paths, RAF, um, working with um, engines and dynos. And, you know, so it's, and, you know, they've come at it not in school age, but a bit later on. So it, there's many different paths you can take. Yeah. Well, that's a great note, I think, to end on. This was so incredible. Thank you, Catherine, for all of your insight and time. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this conversation. It has been amazing. So appreciate all of it. And thank you for doing it in the evening, your time. It's never easy. We super appreciate it. (laughs) That's all right. I've not long been home from work, so it's not too bad. Perfect. Good. We cannot wait to see Mercedes crush it. I hope so. I hope so. I'm so excited. We will be staying in touch and cannot wait to see what's in the future. So (laughs) thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. 